Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. So, it's very unique the way that God decided to announce the reality of the birth of the Savior in that moment. Now, when the angel split the night sky, he didn't stand in a cathedral or a palace full of princes. No, he broke the night sky over a field of simple shepherds to declare that the good shepherd had come. And it was an unexpected place with an unexpected group of people at an unexpected time, but it was a promise that had been set in motion at the very beginning of time. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus isn't God's reaction to our sin. His plan of redemption was in his heart from the onset. You with me? Say amen. And so from the very moment in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided to break the commands of God and experience the separation, that the world, y'all, that we live in is not the one that God intended for us. It's not the one he created and placed Adam and Eve in. It's not the one that he wanted for us. The one he wanted for us was full of community with him and intimacy with him, and it was free of disease and death and pain and shame and all the things that, that war against your spirit. But the very moment that sin entered the world, God sought Adam and Eve. Have you ever read it? It says he went looking for them in the garden. That even in their disobedience, God was chasing after us. He said, where are you? And it's not, you can't play hide and seek from God. Believe me, I've tried. But when he found them, very early on, he made a statement that was pointing to the very thing we celebrate today. Go with me. Go to Genesis chapter 3. He's having this conversation with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter three, verse 14. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and that's why we hate snakes. And verse 15, and it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, but you will only strike his heel. And right there, God is already pointing to the person of Jesus who is to come. He's saying, because you have done this, this is the consequence. Here's the, 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 the sequence of things that are gonna unfold, but just so you know, someday you will strike his heel, but Satan, he will crush your head that you will inflict a wound upon him, that it will be nothing compared to what he will do to you. And in that moment, God is pointing us to the reality that through the womb of a woman, God would send the Savior. And what would unfold over the centuries that would follow would be our God continuing to reveal this reality that all throughout the Old Testament, this, this beautiful document that we have been given by God, all of that first half of your Bible, that Old Testament, is God trying to prepare humanity for the coming of the Savior. And I know when you read the Old Testament, so much of it confuses you that you have avoided at times, but it is littered with the details of what would happen to come. Jesus coming to this planet to save us from our sins. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's these prophecies that point to the fulfillment of that promise. 
with the hopes that when it would come, humanity wouldn't miss it. And y'all, there's so much detail in that book, in those words, all throughout the scriptures. Eventually, God would, would pick a people group through which he would bring the Savior when he would show up in the life of a man named Abram, who we know now as Abraham, when he would say that through your line, that your descendants will be as vast as the grains of the sand, and it'll be through you I will build a great kingdom. And God was saying, it will be through this line, Abraham, that eventually the Savior of the world, eventually the one promised in Genesis will come through your lineage all the way would you move up to King David when in 2 Samuel, go there with me, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. Well, right here, once again, we see the promise of the one who is to come, that it would come through the lineage of King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says, when your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That following that promise in the garden, God gave us all these prophecies to point to the Savior that was to come with the hopes that when he did, we would not miss it that we would see him for who he is. And even, even shrouded in this Christmas narrative that we have, we see so much that, oh, look at me, hundreds of years before Jesus would be born, even the smallest details of his birth would be foretold. Like in Isaiah chapter seven, verse four, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You will. That even the very town that Jesus would be born would be foretold. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That even the very town in which Jesus would be born, hundreds of years before it happened, God says, here's where it will happen. And all throughout scriptures, even, even the fact that when, when King Herod, who was so intimidated by this king that was born, who was so worried about how this new king would impact his role in his life and his authority, so much so in his determination to see this king, he was so threatened by, destroyed, he issues this decree that all these children be killed so that Joseph and his family have to flee to Egypt. But God even saw that coming as well. Hosea, chapter 11 Verse one, when Israel, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That all throughout the Old Testament, at multiple points throughout the history of the nation of Israel, God steps in and says, hey, let me, let me give you some clues. Let me give you some hints. Let me give you some information about who the Savior will be and what he will be and where he will be and what he will do and where he will come from so that when he comes, if you're paying attention but at all, you will see him for who he is. We talked about John throughout this series even Isaiah would point to John. John would be the one that would prepare the way. Isaiah 40, verse three. A voice of one calling in the, calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the desert 
a highway for our God. That all throughout the Old Testament, there are these, these stories, these things laced in all of Scripture. And from Isaiah 9, Isaiah 61, all these moments. And even when Jesus stepped on the scene, go to Luke chapter 4. He's even himself trying to get them to see, hey, religious people, you guys who have been studying the scriptures your whole life. So like these things should be ingrained in your mind and your heart and your spirit. You've been reading about me your entire life. And now here I stand in front of you and you don't even see me. Luke chapter four says he, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say, today, look at me. That's what Jesus Jesus said, look at me too. He said, look at me. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your very hearing. All the things that you've spent your life dedicated to studying, all the things that you've read since you were a small child, now you're watching them unfold before your very eyes. Do you see it? Do you see it? In his birth, in his life, all these details were were foretold, even in his death. You remember on that fateful Palm Sunday when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords mounted the back of a borrowed donkey and rode into Jerusalem? God had told them that's exactly how it would happen. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, Daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a fall of a donkey. Like, this is how it's going to happen. Do you see it? All throughout scripture, it points to this. And there was even a moment, and it wasn't just in these prophets. It was even in the symbolism of all the things that happened in the nation of Israel. There was a a time in the nation of Israel when when Moses was leading them to the promised land where where people were bit by snakes and and they were dying. And God says, hey, go fasten a snake to a pole and raise it up and and so that everyone who looks on the one raised on the pole will, will not die but have life. In Numbers chapter 21, verse nine, it says, so Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. That anyone who had been bitten by a snake, by a serpent, sound familiar at all, church, y'all with me? But even when the effect of the serpent is being had on the person, if they'll look at the one raised up on the pole, they will have life. John chapter three, verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up and that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him stands and condemned already because they have not believed 
in the name of God's one and only Son. That's why Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Like all these little details, y'all, were laid out in Scripture. If you go into Psalm 22, verse 18, I'm not going to read it. It'll be on the screen. even, Even when the soldiers are dividing his clothes, that very act is foretold thousands of years before it ever happened. Even even though, like, it was very common for someone to be crucified because it would take so long, they would eventually break the legs of the one being crucified to expedite the death. But the scriptures have foretold that not a bone in his body would be broken. And so even in something that was so customary for this way of capital punishment never happened to Jesus because God said it wouldn't. Even his resurrection was foretold. Like, all of these things were pointed out Yet so many people missed it. So many people missed it. And I know often look at, we, we think that Jesus' biggest frustration with the, with the religious people was because of their hypocrisy. But I think what you see is you see the broken heart of the Savior of the world because he's standing before the very people that should recognize him most and they're missing it. And he even says it. Go to John chapter five. Think of verse 37. Once again, he's standing before these people that are are supposed to see him. It says, and the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent Look at verse 39. It says, you study the scriptures so diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That scripture that you've been studying your whole life, that I keep fulfilling in every way, it's right in front of you and you don't see it. Y'all look at me. Jesus fulfilled just through his birth, life, death, and resurrection over 300 prophecies. The likelihood of one person fulfilling that many prophecies is so astronomically impossible unless unless he's God, unless he is the one. But even their rejection would be foretold. Isaiah 53, verse three, says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. That even the fact that despite all the evidence, they would miss it was foretold. And if you're like me, you read these scriptures and you're like, how? How did y'all not see it? How did you not see him for who he is? You got to watch all these things unfold right before your very eyes. 
You knew the scriptures. You knew the prophecies. You knew what was foretold. You got to read all the things that God said would happen when the Savior would come, and you're watching it happen in real time, and you missed it. And maybe the reason why they missed it is really the same reason why so often we miss him. They expected something different. They expected something different. And unmet expectations can easily cloud undeniable evidence. Unmet expectations can easily cloud undeniable evidence. Sometimes you can miss what's right in front of your face because you think it shouldn't look like that. You ever had that happen? You ever had, I remember when I was little, my dad would send me on an errand to look for something, that kind of stuff. I'm like, where is it? He'd be like, dude, it's right in front of your face. I'm like, I thought it, I thought it would look different. You ever had a moment like that? It was right in front of your face and you didn't recognize it because you didn't expect it to look the way it did. That's, that's why they missed it. That despite the evidence, they expected something different and they missed it. And before we judge them, Keep in mind that we're easily victims of the same thing. That little page between your Old Testament and New Testament, do you know that it represents about 400 years? That from the last thing that God spoke to the moment the angels showed up and began to to declare the Savior was on the way, over 400 years. And 400 years of silence can mess with you. You ever gone through a dry season? You ever gone through a season where God felt so absent, so far away? Have you ever had a season where God seemed silent? Come on. And it begins to mess with you. And that experience can warp your expectations. That so often what we experience in life can shift our expectations of God so much so that when he does show up, because our experience has so warped our expectation, despite the overwhelming evidence, we don't see him. And I just want this Christmas to remind you, don't let the expectations he never agreed to cause you to ignore the evidence of who he really is. God wasn't, look at me, God wasn't who they expected, but he was absolutely who he promised. And so often in life, God will not do what you expect him to do, but he will always be who he promised to be. He will always be who he promised to be. And so often we have an expectation born not of his word, but formed by our experience. And isn't it funny how quickly we get frustrated at God when he doesn't meet our expectations, but how slowly are we are to praise him when he exceeds them? Did that make sense? How quickly we are to get mad at God when he doesn't meet our expectations, but how slow we are to praise him in those moments when he exceeds them. And I know that there's a lot of people sitting in this room wallowing in the frustration 
of unmet expectations. And if you stay there, it's going to cloud the undeniable evidence of his presence, his goodness, his love, his power in your life. I look around the room and I lock eyes with some people who I know didn't expect to be where you are right now in this season. You expected things to be different. You expected him to still be here. You expected them to be sitting at the table next week. You expected for your life to look exactly like this. And because it doesn't, that unmet expectation is overshadowing all the evidence that he is still present in your life and is keeping you from truly leaning into this season and acknowledging God for who he is. And today is the day that I call you back. That nah, he didn't do what you expected him to do. But he is who he promised to be. And there's so much evidence of his goodness in your life right in front of you, perhaps today sitting right beside you. But you can't see it until right now. Over the last two years, it feels like we've all lost so much, doesn't it? And it's so easy to fixate on what's been taken that you fail to appreciate what you have. It's right in front of you. He was right in front of them and they missed it. I don't want you to miss it. My prayer is today that God opens your eyes to the beauty of who he is and what he has done. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Because see, there's some promises, there's some prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, but someday they will be. And so we anchor our hope in who, look at me, not in who you think he is right now, but who he has promised to be from the onset of time. Our God, our creator, our savior, our Lord, our hope, our future. That's who he is. So would you stand with me? Father, I know that we stand in this room today, so many with heavy hearts and walking through difficult times. And Father, I pray that today that you would step into this room, that you would show up right in front of our face, <laughs> that you would be so seen, heard, felt, so real in this moment that God, our experience and what we've experienced over this last year can so cloud 
our expectations, warp our expectations, and we begin to have expectations that are born of the experience and not rooted in your word. But God, there's not a... He says, you told Mary, no word from God will ever fail. And for God, those people in this room that you didn't meet their expectations and said they feel that failure so real and so strong. God, I pray that they would be reminded that, no, you didn't meet that expectation. But you never said you would. You never promised that. God, you never promised us so much of the things that we anchor our hope in. God, you don't promise us tomorrow. You don't promise us that it'll always be easy. Those are things that you never said that we should expect. But you promised you'd be with us. You promised you would work all things for our good. You promised you're preparing a place for us that will not include all the things that cause struggle and pain in this life. And so God, we lean into that knowing, God, that everything you've ever promised has come to pass or will come to pass. And we lean into that truth today. And it's from that posture that we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.